Hey y'all, welcome back to the Chase Mills Podcast, part two here on the Thursday, May 26th, 2022 edition on the Chase Mills Podcast here at the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, appreciate you guys for sticking around for part two here on the program. On uh, part two of today's show, uh, Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel stops by to talk all things Florida Gators as uh, they head into a very interesting summer uh, for year one and Billy Napier and his crew. So talk about Anthony Richardson, uh, Montreal Johnson, Justin Shorter, uh, Dan Mullen, Billy Napier and their differences, a little Scott Strickland, uh, Florida Gators schedule, uh, future of the SEC, all that good stuff with Edgar. So very much enjoyed our conversation and think you guys will too. You can check it out in all of our other videos and clips over at YouTube youtube.com chase most podcast right there leave us a uh, go ahead and subscribe and uh, like the videos and all that good stuff share it out uh, all that good stuff tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer email the program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com uh, all right part two with edgar thompson of the orlando sentinel coming up in just one second uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast. We're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon with Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel. Edgar, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great, man. I actually didn't tell you this beforehand. I'm on day seven of COVID recovery. Oh no. First- First day, I actually feel normal and actually might even take a little bit of a walk. Mm -hmm. And I'm a guy who like lives in the gym and all this stuff. So that'll tell anyone who knows me and knows that I have just, I'm just thinking of taking a walk. Mm -hmm. Well, would know this isn't anything to be messed with, man. I know everybody hears it, thinks it, it's, it just, it's just a, time suck man it's an energy suck it can be yeah. a lot worse for sure but it's uh, it's pretty draining man so be safe out there everybody watching this <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely and it, it's the cases spreading, are, man. yeah it's it's up uh here heading into june um and <clears throat> as a runner myself like i I know where you're coming from, where it's actually hard to get back and that kind of thing. It's it's not fun uh, to uh, fall out of that routine and fall out of that uh, just airspace that you, you just don't occupy. You have to get it back, and it takes takes time. It takes what it takes. Uh, but it's also super hot, Edgar, and I just – I it's a, we skipped spring here in Knoxville. We just moved on, so now my runs, I have to be really careful when I do it because, man – it, before you know it, it's just like that. It's 90. And I'm like, well, all right, I guess it's going to be like a 7 p.m., 8 p.m. run tonight. We'll see how I'm going to figure this out. But I don't know. Are you only the gym or are you a runner too? Not really a runner anymore. But I'm more gym guy. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm big into circuits and things at this mm. point. So everything's pretty high intensity burst. So I will not be resuming those until I get back from dust next week. But I will ease back into things. Hopefully as early as tomorrow, I'd like to get in there and maybe just get moving around a little. But anyway, man, that was just a PSA there that this thing is definitely spiking this latest variant and it's very contagious. The irony of it is I caught it from a 90-year-old friend of mine 
Oh, wow. Aren't we the ones supposed to be giving it to the nine-year-olds? But she's doing okay. Her husband hit him pretty good. He spent five days in the VA, 92 mm. years old. He's okay, though. So that's the good news. Is this thing's a slap in the face versus the Joe Frazier left hook that the earlier variants had been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, spring ball wrapped up here. We're moving towards summer and classes are done. Uh, Tennessee was late. I don't know when Florida officially got out, but that's something we have to monitor now because that affects the portal and when guys are enrolling and we're, we're on like enrollment watch for a lot of these schools now and like oh this player can't do anything it's like why is jt not uh jt daniels the quarterback at uga it's like oh he's he's finishing up his school so he's he did a mini mester in uh the winter so he has to finish that up and then he can do it it's like there's just so much that we have to keep up with and so much to keep track of at this point are you at all a little overwhelmed with how much your jobs change covering the gators with the portal and nil and everything else that is the perfect word for it you wake up and you're like, where do I start? There's mm. so many, there's so many, it can be par- paralyzing because you're like, okay, what should I be working on? What's the, because one thing we do here at the Sentinel, I'm based in Gainesville. I've been in Gainesville off and on since 2002 fall. So almost 20 years now. And I worked for the Palm Beach Post, covered five seasons and I was in South Florida for about six years and I've been back. But I've always worked in newspapers that we are the paper of record to a degree. Like we're certainly not going to ignore important things, mm. but we're also not going to be like 24 seven sports or now on three. And these other, you know, um, media entities that just, it's like, you know, minute by minute, man, they're just pounding it out. What's happening. Yeah. I'm lucky in that respect because I get to dig in on some stories. I mean, that's kind of my best. I'm at my best when I'm taking on bigger picture stuff, profiles, things like that. So that's nice, but there's so many, there's, especially now I got two new coaches too. I got mm-hmm. a new basketball coach, new football coach, Billy Napier, Todd Golden basketball, Kelly Ray Finley and women's basketball, which was a, an entity. Nobody cared about that. And now they do because of the success it had last season and her mm. in general. So there's all that. Plus, there's great Olympic sports programs here at Florida. I mean, it's one of the best athletic programs top to bottom there is. Mm. So there are all of those. And then, oh, yeah, NIL. Oh, yeah. yeah, transfer portal. Plus, I cover golf for us. So the Florida swing's busy for me with Bay Hill, TPC. Oh, and I do Daytona for us, too. So I did Daytona <laughs> 500 for a week. And then I get the summer race. So I'm always got stuff going on and it's like, where do you begin? But with the Gators in particular and football in particular, it's amazing. I mean, I talked to Scott Strickland yesterday and this is predestined, you know, just to get kind of a handle on things. They're going to, they're going to eliminate divisions. It sounds like for sure. They're trying to figure out whether the model is going to be seven rotating opponents, one permanent three permanent, six rotating. I like that one. Mm. But then you got to figure out who's doing what. Is Tennessee stay on the Gators schedule in a 6-3? I think it should. Georgia certainly would. I think it would be yeah. Tennessee and whomever. But I wouldn't pencil in Tennessee, Florida in that one. I oh, you I wouldn't would? be surprised if it's Tennessee, Vander, if Tennessee three would be like Vanderbilt, Bama, Bama. and maybe Kentucky. I don't think Florida really? Yeah, I don't think Florida's a guarantee. Gators? Okay. I mean, that was a, that became a pretty intense rivalry. 
Yeah. But before 1992, when the divisions first formed, when the SEC expanded, yeah, you know, the first time, um, they weren't. I could be wrong. I they, just you know, they barely played prior to that. Chase is yeah. And Auburn in Florida was a much bigger game. Mm-hmm. But does Auburn want to have Georgia, Alabama, and Florida? No. I, I joke with Strickland. No. I said, I got you, man. Don't worry. You got Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. You're good. And he laughed. So, you know, but. So he sounds like, though, that it, the divisions is going away. Like the divisions. Divisions are going away because you're going to have 16 teams. And mm-hmm. then you're, it doesn't. You're even going to put more of a gap. Mm-hmm. Like Auburn, Florida. They played going back to 1912. They used to play for years. Then the divisions came. They hadn't played Auburn, but twice since 2007, 11 and 19. Huh. Next one's 24. You mm. add another team in there in your division to play every year, and the gap even widens even farther for when you're going to rotate back in on certain opponents. So, Y'all never play Arkansas. I know that. Excuse <laughs> you, never, me? you never go to Arkansas. Like, in, go well, to Fayetteville. No. So, yeah. so the point being... I was in. I was at both Arkansas games. They're played since God knows whenever in '03, and <laughs> yeah. then one with McElwain in '16 with us 31-10. But, but the point is, you'd even widen the gap more. So mm. they're going to get rid of divisions. They want teams to play each other more. SEC game. Scott Strickland is like nine games is better in his opinion because yep. SEC against SEC gets eyeballs, revenues, interest. And players and coaches want to play those games more too. Yeah. That's something that fans miss is you would assume that you're like, oh, these power five coaches want to protect the bowl eligibility and they want to protect their, their wins and stuff like that. That's not really how most of these coaches you talk to are up. Like they're up for Georgia, Oregon, right out the gate. No, let's see what we are because we can use that as a learning tool. A lot of it is like, well, we can see where we're at. It's like a good baseline. So when we're always playing up to competition, we can see where our season's going, where we're at as a program, but you don't really gleam anything when Tennessee opens with Ball State. Like, Heupel's not over here like, here's what I feel about my team now. Nothing really changes, and you don't really... It's just a... I get the money aspect and helping those smaller programs and giving them those checks and stuff like that, but man, what we learned in 2020 is you know what's fun florida old miss out of the gate like that that's fun that's what fans want is the nfl does not do this situation where it's like we're gonna play the xfl or the usfl the first three weeks of the season and then we'll kick off our nfl schedule no it's like we're starting and we're gonna have games that you want to see right out of the gate and to your point sec fans just want to see nine to ten i would go up to ten like i would do ten conference games so and if you have 12, though, mm-hmm. and you're going to have in the case of Florida, Florida State, yeah, the case of South Carolina, Clemson, the case of Kentucky, Louisville, mm-hmm. just to name a few scenarios, you in Oklahoma, would it keep Oklahoma State? I don't know, but probably not because I don't think they're going to keep it either way Probably because of the animus now. Between yeah. But the point being, so that wasn't a good example. Stick to my first three <laughs> matchups. You, that's a tough game. Mm-hmm. So that gives you 10. Then I think the thinking is play another group of, I mean, another power five in there. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you get a group of five or even an FCS. Maybe, I don't know. But maybe it's just 10 good ones and then you get a wiggle room on two. Yeah. But here's my problem. If I'm a fan, I want one of those, period. Mm-hmm. that's all i want to pay for 
I don't want to be paying what they're asking for season tickets and what, and they're going up. I mean, Florida's yeah. about to renovate the swamp. That's going to be the next project. The swamp needs about 250 to $300 million worth of work. They're hmm. going to rip out bleachers and most of it, chairbacks. They can't put chairbacks in the upper level because of the weight, hmm. but they're going to, the bowl, which is significant, is going to be chairbacks now. You're going to get more room to spread out a little bit and breathe. You won't be sitting on these metal bleachers, you know, like sitting like this, you know, getting pushed around the whole game, uncomfortable four hour, five hour experience. Yeah. So, but you're going to have to pay. Yeah. Is my point. And the licensing fee, they call it whatever contribution, but it's just, it's the equivalent of the NFL licensing. Fees. Yeah. You're going to have to pay more. So I don't want to pay that to see Eastern Washington which is the October one game mm. and one time, maybe that's it. Yeah. One. And then otherwise I want to see sec teams or in this case this year, I want to see Utah opener. Yeah. USF even, which is week three. Good game. USF's decent. I mean, they, you know, they're, they got a ways to go, but they're going to be eventually pretty solid program. So I could even live with USF, but to me, USF might be the bottom. Mm-hmm. And forget Eastern Washington, but then what are you doing to those athletic programs? You're really eventually, man. I mean, you've seen all this stuff. Swarbuck, uh, Jack Swarbuck, last two weeks ago talked to Pat Forty at SI. Yeah, he said by the time the SEC and the ACC and all these deals come up, the TV deals in mid thirties, there's going to be breakaway. But then, but then, what do you get there? And then back to Scott Strickland. There might already be thoughts in the SEC of breaking away a little bit. That SEC playoff model is a dumpster fire. That needs to be ended at the door. Like, that is not where we need to go whatsoever. Like, I agree with the Power Five uh, only and the Power Five switching away because it's just the money. It's not the same. There's no, if you expand the playoff and you go to 12 teams, whatever it is, they don't have the bodies to withstand a perfect season and then win three power five games in a row. It's just, it's not realistic. They don't have the players. They don't have the fun. It, it'll never happen. There will never, college football was never built around the group of fives making this kind of amazing run and winning an, a national title. They're not playing the same game anymore. The boosters aren't the same. The NIL opportunities aren't the same. It's just two different worlds, but man, the, that would bum me out if we did an SEC They're national championship. Happen. It's posturing. Yeah. I think Sankey's just like, okay, if you guys don't want to come to the table, Mm -hmm. realistically talk about a 12-team playoff that's going to benefit all the leagues Mm -hmm. and present an opportunity for a group of five schools, also the better ones, which Mm -hmm. ultimately are going to end up in some conferences as things go. Um, Then what are we doing here? We'll just go do our own playoff. Problem is, how do you leave out Lincoln Riley USC? Mm -hmm. How do you leave out Mario Cristobal? Miami, I, that team, that program is going to get better. Mm-hmm. How do you leave out Ohio State? How do you leave out Clemson? Mm-hmm. How do you leave out Oregon if it can continue forward with Lanning, which I think it will? And the list goes on Penn State, Michigan. How are you leaving out those schools? You right. can't, but you can leave out probably a decent chunk of the ones that are in that mix. So I don't know, man. I mean, I come from Richmond. My dad loves UVA football, and I have a bunch of friends who went to UVA. UVA not being in in that whole mix, I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world for college football, 
would probably be for Virginia. But anyway, the main point being, I don't think that it's going to be an SEC only deal, but they have leverage. Right. Because they could make a pretty dang good playoff in the SEC. I mean, people will watch. Mm. People in a certain part of the country will watch. <laughs> Maybe not uh, across yeah, you're the right. Country. Yeah. I agree. Um, I don't think it's a smart move. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. There's still a lot to be decided at this oh, point, yeah. and I don't think it's going to be decided anytime soon. It yeah. sounds like there's going to be a lot more fighting and a lot more uh, crawling to the. They're just they're trying to do one step at a time. Like, let's get nil. Let's get the portal. Let's. I just there's a lot on the plate for nobody because there's no one to universally run this thing. So it's uh, different, varying degrees of states and legislators and uh, ads and goodness gracious, it's what a mess. Um, is the quarterback competition still open, Edgar, at the University of Florida? I mean, Anthony Richardson won the job during the spring game if he hadn't already had it. Jack Miller, the Ohio State transfer, was garnering some interest, you know, outside, you know, the program. Mm. Behind closed doors, we're not sure. Practices are they're closed beyond closed, honestly. I mean, you get to see a little bit of a window at the beginning but you can't discern anything there. Mm -hmm. So we saw the spring game, excuse me. And Jack Miller looked pretty erratic and Anthony looked transcendent for two series at least. And, and then from there was okay, but he made enough of a statement. Those first two series where you were like, okay, he looked very in control, made quick reads, very accurate throws. And there was one instance, I think, where he ran, which is one of his great skills. And you were like, you know, nobody's beating this guy out. Now, mm. the reality is he's going to have to stay healthy, which he wasn't able to do last season. He's a big-bodied kid. He's 6'4", 237-ish. He is so almost so powerful for his body that you were talking about running mm. you know, or whatever. I mean, I exercise. You can only put so much stress on those joints no matter how young you are. And when he's just the explosiveness of a guy that size and strength, he almost like pulls things. I was mm. never fast enough to pull a hamstring. Well, he is, he's powerful. And so they got to monitor how his body, you know, reacts and things. And I know they're really digging in on the details and the data of how to do that and monitoring him because they got to keep him healthy. And it's going to be interesting because he's going to be carrying such the offensive load because he's really the one true playmaker on that offense you can rely on. There are a few others that could emerge, but he's the one guy. And he needs to be the real deal for this team to make headway because the schedule's brutal, man. Mm. And the offense is new and guys are going to be learning and they really don't have a whole lot of playmaking capability at this point. It's interesting. They're opening with – have they ever played Kentucky this early? Like week two? Oh, yeah, they play Kentucky in week two often. Is it week two? Why did I always think it was like later in the season? It's often that? week two or three, but three. the one they lost to Mullen, when Mullen lost, you remember, yeah. that was week two when Marco Wilson hmm. blew his knee out in 18. They played him in week two with McElwain in 16, mm -hmm. beat him 45-7 here, really yeah. beat the doors off Stoops. Otherwise, that has been – they beat him pretty soundly in 2020. Other than 16 and 2020, that has been a tough game mm. ever since Mark Stoops has been there other than his first year. So three out of whatever the 10 meetings against Mark Stoops, 
been a pretty legit game for the Gators, and they're unlucky to win a number of them. So that's a tough week two game. And you follow, it's just two physical teams back-to-back, two well-coached physical teams right out the gate, which I love. Now, uh, as a Tennessee guy, like I love that just uh, heavy blows to the Florida Gators uh, right out the gate. I like that. But like you said, their schedule's tough, but I don't know. I wish Tennessee could get, if we could slide in to week three instead of week four, because I'm so tired of playing Florida in this early in the season. I'm so tired of it, Edgar. That's one of the things we move on. Like if we play Florida last year at the end of the year versus the beginning, it's, I think, a totally different story. It and, certainly and, is. And that was Florida's best game last year, probably. Emory was unstoppable. It's just third downs. He was converting over. He was just uh, death by a thousand paper cuts is what Dan Mullen did to uh, Tennessee in that one. But um, I'm I'm very curious because Vegas likes Anthony Richardson and they like Florida uh, in year one with uh, Napier. And I'm just I'm very curious to see how What's this it? goes. Uh, what did you say? I saw betteronline.org has this over under six and a half. I'd set it at seven and a half personally. I, I wouldn't take six. Well, Fanduel had them as like the fourth best odds to win the SEC this uh, upcoming year. Fanduel, I think, had them at number four. Okay. So they're. It's basically like if Georgia doesn't win the SEC East, they have Florida as the next up to win the East, which is I don't, I don't buy that. Well, until Tennessee does it, until Tennessee just uh, expels those demons in Knoxville, and I, I just. The, the, well, I don't even know if I buy it Tennessee. I don't know. I don't know who it is. But it's oh, hard. who do you have the number two, Kentucky or South Carolina? I just don't know. It's hard. Look, any of them. Mm-hmm. And Florida, let's say all four of them, throw them in a half. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Is Florida's schedule, though, is the issue there. Yeah. Florida start open, as we talked about, that September is brutal. Utah at home, Pac-12 champ, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's got some questions to answer, but but they're also always physical. They're a well-coached team, and it's a solid program now that's recruited pretty well, especially at Kentucky, very well. USF, athletic, they'll have some guys. Brought in and, the Baylor quarterback. And they're be- going to be better mm-hmm. than last year. Jeff Scott, I think people think, is a pretty good coach, and he's, the program's improving. I mean, it, it was such a mess when he took it over. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Tennessee. I mean, that's September for you. That's a rough September. Then you get to October. I think Missouri's the you get Eastern Washington. I think Missouri, I believe. Mm-hmm. Missouri with Drinkwitz is not a it's a good, it's a solid program. Okay, maybe not. Forget them. Then mm-hmm. you got LSU though. Yeah, there is a huge wild card. I have no idea what to make of LSU. My argument was in LSU by yeah. Georgia at AM. So that's you got rough. That three game stretch, and then you got that three out of four game stretch in September, and and you got South Carolina coming up in there too. It's like, it's just it's a rough schedule, man. So to think Florida's going to finish second based on the schedule, to me is, you know, in six and a half is the over under. I would still probably take the over, but if it were seven and a half, I'd probably take the under. Meaning, I think it's about a seven one team. Well, I think a lot of it depends on what Richardson is. Like if Richardson's healthy for go. 12 games and he's a Heisman type guy, that changes everything and changes how we look at Florida completely. Indeed. Um, so we'll, that's just a, a big wild card. I'm curious, as someone who's covered them both, who? what are some early differences between Napier and Dan Mullen for you? Dan, Dan was kind of, I mean, he's very, very bright. 
and Dan knows he's very, very bright and which is fine. I got along fantastic with Dan. I don't mm-hmm. even mean that like it comes off like negatively, but he was very confident in his intelligence, his opinions, his vision uh, with the standalone facility that's going to be completed here in the next month or so. Dan had lots of input in that. He was telling the architects how to do things. <laughs> That's how he is. He's kind of that smartest guy in the room guy. And he yeah. often probably is. Well, Billy is a little more humble there, but you can tell he's very bright. The thing with Dan, though, is that intelligence level, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I've always been kind of quick with things. It leads you to a fly by the seat of your pants mentality which is great. It's very well suited to journalism where you get Mm. deadlines and you get something forcing you. And there's some days where, you know, you can kind of let a loose end or two fly and then you recover. You can't do that when you're running a college football program. And Mm. I think that Dan, like he, he thought he could scheme game plan, play call you adjust on you and beat you like that and develop. Mm-hmm. And he was really good at it. So the recruiting apparatus, the overall organization at the you know foundational level, I think, had some creakiness to it. And he wasn't pushing for the support staff to the level Billy Napier is. The organizational effort was different. Billy has like 65 people on staff, man. And he apparently comes into meetings. He writes everything down. I never saw Dan with a piece of paper, barely. Billy's always got a notebook. You go in his office, he's got books here and there. He had piles here when I went in and interviewed him one time. I'm like, what are those? Oh, and he's like, well, this is February of 2019. Here's February of 2020. Here's February 2021. And he's like, I'm looking at what we did each of those years and how we improved each year, what we learned from each year. And now there we were in February, of course, and now he's figuring out how I'm going to learn from all those missteps, mistakes, and things we did well too for this February. So he hyper-organized. And then he would come, he comes into meetings apparently, walks in the room, looks at his list, 60 people are packed in a room, like shoehorned in the room. And he's like, okay, recruiting, blah, 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 blah. All right, promotional, marketing, blah, 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 blah. Okay, linebackers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, goes around the room, boom, boom, boom. The comment from one of them was like, within within 15 minutes, he's given six weeks worth of workout. <laughs> and he is just very, Dan, I don't think operated that way. The mm. other thing is Dan to his failing was he was extremely loyal, mm-hmm. great quality. I'd known Dan since 2005 when he was here as a coordinator at age 33. Dan got off the plane, walked up to me, hit slapped me on the shoulder, said, good to be nice to work with you again. I thought that was fantastic. I always have liked Dan, mm-hmm. but he was loyal to Todd Grantham, who was his neighbor. He was loyal to John Hevesy, who he'd been with since 2000, going back to Bowling Green with Urban Meyer. They've been together for all that time. Well, Hevesy couldn't land top recruits in the offensive line. Something needed to change there. Todd Grantham's defense in 2020 was was historically bad. And Dan, I think, needed to move on from him after that season. He didn't, and it ended up biting him in the butt 
in 2021. And then when he was forced to make a move on those two guys, mm-hmm. that South Carolina game, I think he had it was already, too late. He had already kind of checked out a little bit, I think, and was frustrated. And then at that point, it was just like, all right, whatever. That's interesting. Interest. Hmm. What do you, does it surprise you that he wound up as like a Lake Oconee uh, offensive analyst and that he's going to take some time with his family and hang out? Do you think that's a long-term thing? Do you think he can stay away from uh, high-profile coaching for the foreseeable future? Or do you think he's back in sooner rather than later? I mean, he's a competitive guy. I mean, he always talked about that. I'll take you on in thumb wrestling. You know, we do this, we do that. And I always wanted to play golf with Dan because I think mm. we're both equally kind of okay and bad, you know. Yeah. Alternately. But it had been a fun match. Um, he is competitive. So I wonder. But he also is very wealthy and he's very mm. family-oriented. And he got a tremendous buyout here. He got a $3.6 million, you know, direct deposit roughly into his account within 30 days. Six oh, wow. million right off the top. After taxes, I figure about 3.6. So he didn't really have to do anything this year. And mm. he already had made a bunch of money. Plus they sold their house here, which is very nice. Hmm. So it's like good for Dan. If he wants to relax, regain some perspective, be around his kids and his wife, he and his wife have a fantastic relationship. I mean, it truly seems like a team over there with those two. And, you know, he's got a 12 and a nine-year-old or whatever they are. Mm. It's, you know, he wants to be a dad. Good for him if he's doing that. Now, do I think he's going to stay out of coaching long-term? No. Do I think he might end up in the NFL? I don't know. I mean, that might suit his, like, personality. Did he ever talk about it? I mean, NFL stuff came up at times. Mm. Here's one thing Dan said a couple of years ago. There were some rumors, you know, I think it was more a leveraging ploy to get an extension. This is what we had heard. But the New York Jets Mm. were interested in Dan Mullen. Well, I don't know that they necessarily were, but at least there might have been a conversation. And he said at the time when we asked him about it, he's like, you know, the college football landscape, man, is getting challenging. This isn't the same game that I came into, and it's changed a lot even in two years. Transfer portal, NIL, those two factors have completely changed the game. It's nonstop player movement, and it's helping players, you know, get deals, recruits get deals, managing all of that. Uh, you know, it is, it's, it's overwhelming for these guys and it's not something they signed up for. So I I think Dan was, um, kind of getting disillusioned with that too. And then COVID hit and it just, it had an impact on that guy, man, whether it was the A&M game where there were a lot more people in that stadium than the 25,000 allowed by all accounts, there was twice that in that lower ball, um, whether, it was the restrictions UF Health was putting on him being able to work with his team, be able to coach, keeping guys apart that maybe other states and other programs weren't adhering to. And it was making that much harder challenge to coach a team that Dan felt was a college football playoff team. That was a very, very good team in 2020. Mm-hmm. And they were all scattered for months, came back. Some guys were out of shape. Other guys had their own agenda at that point. Because week to week, they didn't know if the season was going to keep going. So mm-hmm. you had guys like a Marco Wilson, who I mentioned earlier. 
he, I mean, was he really bought into the team or was he bought into team Marco? Well, when he threw the shoe against LSU and cost him that game, look, the guy's starting in the NFL now for Arizona. Mm. So he clearly was a talent, didn't play like it. So there was a lot of, I've mentioned a ton of things, but there was a lot of just challenges that Dan Mullen faced. And on top of it, the standalone facility mm. would have been done by that then. It was delayed because of the COVID. Dan Mullen would have had that to recruit to. Maybe that would have like enlivened, energized him toward that part of the job that certainly was a necessary evil in his mind. That's interesting. Um, what, uh, what is this the year for Justin Shorter? Is this the year he finally breaks through? Because I feel like a lot's on his plate this year, and Florida fans are like, "This is, this is the time. This is, this is the year." Do you think it is for him? It needs to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kid was the number one recruit in 2018 at receiver, eighth in the nation overall, went to Penn State, didn't really do much. I think he was dominant at the high school level because of his stature. He's a big kid. He's Mm -hmm. 6'5-ish, 225, 230, wins the ball in the air, strong physical kid. The problem with him is separating in coverage. Um, That's the problem with this entire receiver core, Trent Whittemore, Nice route runner, good slot guy. Not going to stretch the field on you usually. Um, mm. Xavier Henderson, who was a top 75 recruit out of Miami, C.J. Henderson's brother, does not have C.J. Henderson's speed. He doesn't really separate tremendously himself. They have some others that are in that kind of mold. Mm. So you really don't have, you know, the explosive guy on the edge that you kind of need. They got this Ricky Parasol from mm. Arizona State, who seems yep. like a versatile playmaking guy, is he going to be that explosive guy? I don't know that he has that explosive breakaway speed, but he certainly seems to have vision and have a knack. And they do give him the ball in various ways, running, maybe even throwing it a little bit. So he'll be kind of a Swiss Army knife guy. But back to Shorter, I mean, he's the leader of the group. I mean, fifth-year senior, um, he's the leading receiver returning from last season, and he works his tail off. There is no doubting that. Justin Shorter's mother, have you heard the story? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. Justin Shorter's mother apparently throws him like 250 balls every morning before <laughs> he goes to school. And I'm like, I mean, it's a crazy story. I've been trying to interview his mom for like two years. I mean, she has a gun apparently, and she's just tossing the ball to him 250 times, and he works his tail off at practice and after practice. So this guy is putting his hand on a football hundreds of times a day it's like a guy one of these range rats like a lee trevino at 500 balls a day or something Mm -hmm. he is that kind of a guy but does he have does he have it we'll see he's a good piece to have but Mm -hmm. is he a number one sec receiver i mean he thinks he is and he's gonna have the chance to show it he hasn't yet Hmm. well we'll see i i'm curious about that but like so the running games, it's funny. The Florida is just becoming like a silent, like just solid. They just keep putting in these running backs in the NFL. Like there, it's been a collection of guys uh, of late that have come through uh, Florida and did not put up eye popping stats at Florida, but everybody liked. And they were like, "Oh, this is an interesting guy." Whether it's P. Ryan or whoever, and they're just now NFL guys. But you have Montreal Johnson who comes in from Louisiana. He follows Billy Napier. Is he someone that was turning heads a little bit in the spring? Is he someone to watch that, like, this guy is probably not on anybody's radar yet, 
but Napier is going to use him a lot. Napier is going to maybe use him a lot to save Richardson from a lot of those runs to keep him healthy. He he's not uh, he's on everyone's radar now mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, he stood out in glimpses during the spring when we got the chance to watch a little bit, mm-hmm. and then he had a pretty nice spring game. I mean, it was like thirteen and fifty-five, nothing eye-popping, but he showed balance. He showed power. Um, you know, he, he, vision. I mean, he mm. showed the things you want to see. I don't know what kind of pass catcher he is. I liked a pass catching element in my running backs personally. Damian Pierce really improved in yep. that aspect. I, in fact, it was a big selling point to the NFL was his ability to catch the ball, which was kind of crazy given he had rocks for hands when he first <laughs> got here. He worked hard at that. Mm. and uh, But – the intri- the intriguing part of this running backs room to me is more Demarcus Bowman, the five star hmm. from Lakeland who went to Clemson, came here, did nothing yet. Mm-hmm. Knee in the spring before last season, so who knows what he was nursing there. Lorenzo Lingard, the recruit from Miami, Orange Chit City, Florida, which is an Orlando area, um, you know, town. Mm-hmm. He's an explosive kid and a physical specimen i mean just chisel this kid looks like a world beater Mm. but he hasn't done anything yet then you have naquan wright who's shown a lot of wiggle and versatility and playmaking ability in spurts so Mm. you've got a lot of options there i don't know how you use them how you deploy them who you turn to who gets the ball first um a lot is going to come down to this offensive line once again We've been talking about the offensive line question marks for years. Mm-hmm. Going back to Montre, uh, what was it, Martez Ivy's recruitment in 15. It was like, okay, finally they got a five-star stud, mm-hmm. number one recruit in the nation. Didn't pan out. I mean, he started a lot of games, but he was not a dominant offensive lineman, and those lines struggled often. The 18 line did a pretty good job. They had good offensive balance that year. I think it was 214-213 pass run but they have not been close to that kind of balance since then. And Napier wants balance and he wants to run power football. Mm. This is going to be a different kind of football. This is not going to be, Oh yeah, let's light it up. Like Steve Spurrier. You realize Steve Spurrier's team scored 50 points or more 48 times. That's astounding. His offenses. If you go look at the record books in Florida, I mean, just some of the numbers, some of his offenses put up were astounding, especially for the time in the era. Oh, he was amazing. We know that. Bill, Dan Mullen, Urban Meyer had some amazing offenses with Tim Tebow and Percy mm. Harvin, which would have been hard not to with those two guys, but still. And then Mullen, he put out some pretty good offense. And I'll tell you, that 2020 offense was special. Mm. With Pitts, Tony, Trask, Grimes. Um, you know, he did a nice job with P. Ryan and Scarlett in 2018 mm. with the balance team I mentioned. And 19, they had some nice offensive play. And P. Ryan, you know, showed his versatility catching the football a lot that year. Mullen was good at using his pieces. We'll see what Napier can do. I think a lot of people are going to have to kind of change. Fans are going to have to kind of change their view of what is good football to watch with Napier potentially offensively. Mm -hmm. We'll see. But if it's winning football, they'll love it. Yeah, and we'll see how much it's interesting. We'll we'll see with the schedule what they can do. But if Richardson's a guy, if shorter 
pops this year, if Montreal Johnson and the Clemson transfer, if they pop, like there is a path to Florida being above, uh, finishing above expectations and then bouncing back. There is a path. It's not like there's a dearth of talent in Gainesville uh, for this fall. Like it's no. just, you just don't want to put this, these kind of crazy expectations on a year one coach. And it's just a totally different situation, different scheme, different staff. Um, it's a tough schedule. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Is there a position group for you? Uh, that you think that scares you the most heading into this fall? Is there like one that stands out as like, this is pretty On thin? Offense? Either, yeah. Well, to your point, though, I think the expectations on Billy are going to be fair because I think people do look at the schedule mm-hmm. and do look at what Dan Mullen left because there was recruit, recruiting, um, you know, erosion, let's mm-hmm. say, as, as time passed. Um, I do think that, the area I'd be most concerned about if I'm them is interior defensive line. I mean, hmm. John Dexter seems like he could be pretty good. He's not a guy who's going to work well against double teams, though. You single up with him, and he's pretty special and hmm. very talented kid. They need some guys to take keep the flies off of him. I don't know who it is. I, I don't know who they have interior line-wise. I should know um, a little bit more names, but just no one – really emerged i mean it's like you know i'm looking i wrote the athlon preview um for the gators and i'm trying to see who we have in there i mean it's just like you know who lines up beside him is anyone's guess i said now Mm -hmm. brent cox jr on the edge uh another thing i mean they need someone else to kind of draw away all the attention the mm-hmm. linebacking core has a few intriguing pieces. Ventrell Muller back for a sixth season because of shoulder injury. This Dewan Black kid who was a JUCO kid who was a 2019 signee who came through the JUCO ranks. He's pretty intriguing, man. This guy was a high school defensive back early. Mm-hmm. He had 12 picks for 300 and some return yards and, and three pick sixes when he was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing numbers, like Ed Reed type stuff. And now he's our linebacker, and he gets his hand on the football a lot. He he makes his presence felt. They cornerback wise, you got Jason Marshall. I think he's trending. You got the Georgia transfer Jalen Kember intrigued there. Um, you know Kamari Wilson, the five star recruit. They kind of I don't say stole, but convinced to come here instead of Georgia at IMG. These are some potential pieces. You have some experience in trading Rashad Torrance, but. It's they're just holes everywhere on that defense, but particularly that interior defensive line. And then on offense, my two concerns are where's your explosiveness playmaking, as I've stated, but also offensive line depth. The first unit offensive line might be pretty good, mm. but it's hard to keep everyone healthy on that unit. And it's, you know, they're just the, the margins are thin, man, with this team right now. Well, we'll see. We'll end on this, Edgar. What do you? What would you guess at the on the record this year? It is May twenty fifth, three eleven p.m. East Coast time. What uh, what record feels right to you for Florida year one? Well, I kind of stated it. I said the six and a half is a little low, but seven and a half feels right. I'd take the over on six and a half and mm. the under on seven and a half. <laughs> okay, that's a long way of saying seven and five. <laughs> yes, I said it a little while ago. Uh, Every, I, I see everything in a long way, if you haven't noticed. But I will say yeah. that seven wins, I think, would be acceptable by the yeah. fan base. 
It should be, yeah. But eight would be people would be pretty happy, and nine ecstatic, and it's possible. But mm. I think nine's the ceiling, and mm. I think six is probably the floor. So, okay. uh, yeah. But uh, w- let's see what he's got. Look, he, the t- the program, the players love this guy, mm. and there's a lot to like. I really enjoy Billy Napier's thoughtfulness with answers. They're profound. I mean, you need to almost read his answers a second time on the transcript that we do mm. as a group and go, oh, man, that was pretty deep. Um, he is, I'm going to read you this one thing, Chase, if I may indulge, if you may indulge me right here. Yeah, absolutely. This is one thing I'm going to read about Billy Napier. I have this, I have this actually in my notes follow because I've shared it with a few people because mm. I like this a lot. He's talking about the Hawkins Center, which is the academic center. They have a program, Gator Made. It's about life skills. Um, he's like, look, it's about it's about a holistic approach. It's mm. about leadership development and character education. It's about creating experiences for the players so their perspe- perspective changes on life. Their approach changes as a student. We want to have a player where we're using football and football is not using them. Now, a lot of coaches say stuff like that. That mm-hmm. is most one of the most well-expressed ways to say what your mission is for the, your program that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It feels real. I believe it's real. I went to Chatsworth, Georgia, right after this guy was hired. It's his hometown. It's mm-hmm. a small town, 13 miles east of Dalton. Yep. Perfect capital of the world. Oh, it's- I know Chatsworth. I know. I, I come through it uh, going back and forth from home, East Tennessee to, to Atlanta. Yeah. I know all about it. Yeah. It is humble people. Yep. Farmers, educators, carpet mill workers. He came from humble roots. He was raised by a very, very, um, you know, steadfast high school football coach who died at ALS at age 60. Tragically, his father was sending scriptures to more than hundreds of people. I'm not religious. Hundreds of people a day were receiving a scripture or a positive affirmation from Bill Napier until the day before he died, five years later after getting ALS. This is the kind of person who raised Billy Napier. He is a upstanding, moral, extremely just resolute guy, a hardworking mm. dude. So he has a lot going for him. Plus, he worked under Saban five years and Dabo for several. He had no. He's seen success. I think the man's going to succeed, but people are going to have to be patient. There you go, Edgar. What can the good folks check out from you at the Orlando Sentinel this week? Well, I wrote a story as I said today. I talked to Scott Strickland about what to expect next week in Destin. Um, I've been doing some Olympic sports stuff, but I actually took some time off. So football-wise, a little thin. We're getting Billy tomorrow night before a booster event, and then I head to Destin Monday. So I hope people, uh, my my Twitter handle is OSGators. Anyone who's interested in what's going on down here, give me a follow. There you go, and I'll look out to see if Billy uh, follows Saban's uh, way of going about it. And uh, shots fired in Knoxville, maybe, at Josh Heupel. Who knows? That's not how he operates, man. Don't hold your breath on that. (laughs) Edgar Thompson, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to check back in again soon. It was fun. Thanks for having me, bud.
All right, that'll do it for part two here on the Thursday, May 26th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Mills Podcast. Thank you again to the Orlando Sentinels, Edgar Thompson, for coming on this edition of the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoyed Edgar and I's conversation on part two here on the podcast, make sure that you support the show by leaving this uh, show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, make sure, if you're not already, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode here on the program on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe. Support Uh Type in your email. That easy, that simple to become a subscriber for all my written content. And uh, yeah, part three coming up. Full ride, Matt Green, in just one second. And uh, you know, you know about that. Look at Eric. How'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.